Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Praise the Lord. Well, at the beginning of each new year, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but uh, there is a process in which there are new words that get added to the dictionary. And uh, I don't know if you've ever taken time to look, maybe you've seen some articles or read some articles. It was something that intrigued me, and uh, usually there's a host of new words. They have a criteria that they look at in which they, uh, so how they select or how they choose to say, okay, this new phrase or this word that's being used, sometimes that begins in slang or begins in culture or something like that, is chosen then to be added officially to the dictionary or dictionary For instance, in the year 2020, there were new meanings. Not only are there new words, but sometimes they add a new definition or a new meaning to a word. In 2020, uh, there were new meanings to phrases like social distance. How many have heard social or physical distancing before 2020? Not much. There wasn't wasn't much. Or super spreader. Hybrid learning, these were things that you just didn't, you didn't hear about, but they became new. Or platforms like Zoom that all of a sudden became a part of language. In other words, rather than saying, I've got a meeting, we'd start saying, I have a Zoom. Anybody tired of Zoom? Yeah, yeah, we didn't even know half of it. Nobody ever used Zoom. We didn't even know what Zoom was until last year. And so all of a sudden, there's these new phrases and they get added to the dictionary. And as I was looking up some of these words, I noticed that there were a couple that caught my attention over the years. And so when I looked at the word, I tried to guess the meaning of the word uh, before, actually, uh, before actually looking at what it meant. And so here's a couple of, of my favorites, one from this past year, doom scrolling, doom scrolling. Uh, if you wonder what doom scrolling uh, means, if you guessed it had something to do with social media or something to do with, uh, you know, with some kind of a news online, news feed, internet feed, you're correct. Doom scrolling is the practice of obsessively checking online news for updates, especially social media feeds with the expectation that the news will be bad, Right? Such a feeling of dread and negative expectation fuels the compulsion to continually looking for updates in a self-perpetuating cycle. How many of you have found your emotions getting caught up because of doom scrolling? You just found yourself like, oh, what's next? Oh, what's bad? What's happening? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Another word that I liked was phonesia. Phonesia. All right, and, and, and when I was looking up this word, I guessed that, that maybe it had to do with, because I do this all the time, forgetting where you left your phone. Anybody forget where they left their phone? But that's not the word. Actually, there's something else here. It's the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who you were calling just as the person answers. I just thought that was getting older. I, I don't know. I just thought that was getting older. Uh, and then there's this one, and this happens in corporate and companies, blame storming. You've heard of brainstorming, right? This is blame storming. This is with a little bit of a twist. This is when you sit in a group and you start to discuss who's responsible for the company or the business's problems rather than trying to solve them. I think this happens in government. That's why nothing gets done. Rather than figure out a solution, everybody's blame storming, Right? Come on, it happens in families, it happens in marriages, it happens in churches, right? There's some new words for your vocabulary today. So you can always learn something new when you come to PAG, 
There's always something new to learn. So, you know, what, what's interesting is that sometimes, again, we see new words. Sometimes there are words that we use that, that, that take on a different meaning. And you say, Pastor, where are you going with this? Well, we're, 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 we're starting a series today that, that I felt led to call Amazing Grace. How many of you have heard the song Amazing Grace? We've been saying about Amazing Grace today, John Newton, Amazing Grace. And so I wanted a catchy title, but really we're going to be talking about grace. Now, how many of you know grace is not a new word? It's not a new word, but sometimes I think that grace can be so popular and so used within the church, so familiar and so common that we forget how amazing grace really is. I think oftentimes we, when we, we, we think we understand, understand the term grace, in other words, the bank or a credit card or a loan will sometimes give us a grace period. Maybe you have bills to pay, they give you a grace period to get the bill in and get it paid. Politicians or, or famous people oftentimes fall from grace fall from grace. Musicians speak of the grace note in music, a grace note. Oftentimes, there's an actress that is described as being gracious or a dancer that is described as being graceful. Grace is something that fills our languages, and in church even more so, it fills not only in the scriptures that we read, but in the songs that we sing. And as Max Lucado once wrote, grace shares the church parsonage with its cousins, forgiveness, faith, and fellowship. But the question is, do we truly understand grace? Do we truly understand how amazing grace is? So I, I kind of think it's kind of like Kellogg's cereal. How many like Kellogg's cornflakes? Kellogg's cornflakes, maybe you ate them when you were growing up as a kid and, and you ate them. Well, there were a lot of people who would ate them as a kid and liked them. But then later on, they never bought them again. And so they had a slogan several years ago, an ad campaign that went something like this, Kellogg's cornflakes, taste them again for the first time. So today I'd like to say grace, amazing grace, let's taste it again for the first time. Let's taste it again for the first time. I want to invite you to try it again. And that's what I'm hoping to accomplish as we go through these next couple of weeks and we really delve into what is grace and what's so amazing about grace. I know that was a book by Philip Yancey. What's so amazing about grace? But sometimes we can get so used to a word, so common, that we forget just how amazing the grace of God really is. In fact, grace is a theme that spreads throughout the Bible. We find it throughout. It's a thread that runs deep, not only in the verses where it's directly named, but also the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's in every fabric of Scripture and stories and those kind of things. The Apostle Paul himself, in his writings, uses the word grace more than a hundred times in his letters to the church. Most of his letters are written with grace in the opening and grace in the closing of his letters. And one of those places where Paul speaks about grace is in his letter to the Ephesians. And today, that's where we're going to spend some time, in Ephesians chapter 2. So today, the app notes have been fixed. So if you have your, your app, you can pull up the, app, the, the sermon on the app notes today. Or if you'd like, we can follow along or pull up your Bible and make some notes in the, in the, in, in the, in the uh, just in the margins and things there, or highlight or underline some things. But we're going to spend a little bit of time rediscovering grace rediscovering grace. That's the title of our message today, Rediscovering Grace. And we're going to look at two foundations for rediscovering grace. The first foundation is this, our need for grace. 
our need for grace. In order for us to really understand how amazing grace is, we have to understand our need for something. If you don't realize the need for something, then you don't realize that, that it's something that you, if you don't realize, you don't say, well, I have a need, then it's not something that you want. It's not something that you desire. In fact, I think there's a lot of products that we find online that are like that. How many have ever found a product that you didn't know you needed until somebody, until you discovered it, right? I didn't know I needed that. Oh, wow, that's really great. And so there's a lot of things online that I found. Here's a few that I found. There's one that's a beauty spatula to help you get every last drop of a product. The little, little, little spatula. And if anybody who's a, anybody watched Shark Tank? This was called the spatty on Shark Tank. I, I don't know how many found this, but, but, but I know my wife uses it, and she goes, wow, that is really good to get every last little bit. I like to save that. All right, just, just throwing that out there. How many of you like to go to the back of your car when you go to the grocery store, and, and when you come in the house, you want to carry as many bags as possible? Well, I've got a product for you. This was on Amazon. This is the grocery bag carrier, and uh, you can just hook up all kinds of bags, hook all kinds of bags up to that, and uh, man, you didn't know you needed that, but there it is. You'll be looking on Amazon later on. And then, you know, I, I don't make many meals. I'm not much of a cook, but I do like to make pasta, so when I found this, I said, man, this is great. It's called the snap and strain. The snap and strain. You just snap it right on. Anybody have one of these snap and strains? Really? Yeah, okay. They're just, they're just our, our children's pastors have that. Nice, see? See, I got to get me one of those because that's like really nice. You didn't know you needed it. And again, you know, sometimes they make life easier. Sometimes they're just little things, but just a little fun here. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the amazing power of grace. We've got to rediscover the amazing power of grace. And to do that, we have to understand why we need it. Why do we need grace? So that's what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 2. This is how he opens Ephesians chapter 2 with these words, starting in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature, look at this, deserving of wrath. Notice how Paul opens this is not a very happy opening, isn't it? He uses words like dead, disobedient, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. Doom, 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 right? By nature, what's he say? Deserving what? Wrath. I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us like that. We like to think that mankind is filled with good people. We're good, right? Mankind is filled with good people. We're good. This is that we have we're, we have good intentions. We we have a good heart. We have a we have a good nature. But that's not what Paul writes. What Paul writes is the truth is by nature we're self-centered. We're self-serving. We're self-seeking. We satisfy the cravings and desires of the flesh, and by nature deserving wrath. Allow me to share a little of my story. I grew up with parents and grandparents who took me to church. In fact, I, when I, when I, I don't remember a time when I wasn't in church. I think we got out of the hospital, and if there was a Sunday, we were there, and I was in the nursery. <laughs> I mean, I grew, up, I grew up around Christianity. I grew up with Christian parents. I, I, you know, I, I, man, I, man, if there was ever a time, man, that, that's the way I was raised. That's the way I didn't know any better. I grew up, 
But about four or five years old, one of my earliest memories is a time when it was around spring, just like this, around Easter. My mom had, had decorated the, the living room. We lived in New Middletown, Ohio at the time, and I, I remember that first house that we lived in. I remember the living room, and she had decorated it, and she had the doors open and the screens in the windows, but she had decorated, and I like to touch mama's pretties. Any little kids at four or five like to touch mama's pretties? You know, those little, those little things. I, I, and she said to me, she said, no, that's mama's prettiest. Don't touch that. It'll break. Don't touch that. And she left the room. I'm just four or five years old. What am I going to do? So what do I do? I go up and I pick it up and I start playing with it. And then I drop it and it breaks. So what do I do? I'm guilty, right? Mama told me not to touch that. That was mama's. Don't touch that. I'm supposed to obey my parents, right? I'm supposed to listen. But what do I do at four or five? I pick it up and I try to put it all back together again. And I try to set it right on the end table. And mama comes in and I'm hoping she doesn't see. (laughs) Oh, but she sees. And so she asks the question, did you touch mama's pretties? Did you touch this? Did you break this? And what did I say? Right? I mean, I have grown up, I've grown up in church, right? I've grown up in church. If anybody's a good person, I'm just four or five years old, right? I'm good. No, you know what I said? The wind did it. True story. You can ask my mom. The wind did it. The wind did it. Four or five, I'm lying. I'm lying at four or five years old. And then you think, okay, well, you're just four or five years old, right? You grow up, right? You grow up. Well, then I'm a, a junior higher, and we moved near my grandparents. We moved to a house that was right around the corner from my grandparents. And me and my friends, we were in the neighborhood running around. We rode our bikes to my grandparents, and we loved to go in. And they had an exercise bike. I mean, this was the time when exercise bikes, like, not everybody had them. My grandparents had one in their basement, you know, in their area, and, they, and, and it had a tension knob on it. And we'd get on there, and we were told, you know, hey, be careful with that, all right? It's expensive. Be careful with it. We'd get on, and, and we'd try to pedal as fast as we could, my friends and I, to see who could pedal the fastest. And so I'm on there, and I'm pedaling, and then I decide I'm going to just go the whole way, and I'm going to start messing around with the gear shifter, all right? Because I want to make more tension. And you know what happened? I broke the gear shifter while I was riding. So you think I learned my lesson from being four or five, right? You think I go up and say, you know what? I, you know, you told me not to. I have to confess. We were on there and I, I broke the gear shifter on your bike. I'm so sorry, grandma, that I did that. No, you know what I did? I tried to fix it back on there. And so it didn't look like it was broke in hopes that grandma or grandpa would get on and they would touch it and they think they broke it. That didn't work. I got caught. I got punished. Why is that? Why is that? Because in our nature, we are liars. We are deceivers. We are self-seekers. There is nothing good within us. By nature, we are deserving wrath. By, by nature, we are to gratifying the, this, the flesh and the desires and the thoughts. We're, we're dead. We're disobedient in our sin. Why? By nature, we're self-serving. We're self-preserving. In fact, Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people. Look at this, because all sinned. All sinned. See, this is the problem. The problem is, is we have a sin nature. We have a selfish heart. We have a sinful nature. We don't like to hear that. 
We like to hear what a good person we are. We like to hear how good we are. Well, we had good intentions and we had a good heart and, and, and we had good motives. But do we really? At the heart of it, do we really? Paul says you're dead in your transgressions. So what's right? Are we right or is the word of God right? Paul says you're dead in your transgressions. We live in, in the world and, and according to the ways of the world, which you're under, look at the ruler of the kingdom of this air. You know who that is? Satan. So in other words, we're not following Christ by nature. By nature, we're under a different rulership. We're under the rulership of Satan. The kingdom of this air. As a result, by nature, what are we deserving of? We're not deserving of God's love, and we're not deserving of eternity, and we're not deserving of heaven. Paul says, by nature, you are deserving wrath. That's hard to hear. It's hard to come to terms with. We love messages about God's love and God's mercy. We love messages like this about God's grace and his blessing and his goodness. And we sang about his goodness and God is truly good. But friends, unless you understand the backdrop in which God's goodness stands against, you will never truly understand how good God is. Until we see the blackness of sin, until we understand the wrath that we are deserving, then the amazing part of grace will never truly become real to us. I'm currently reading a, a book called This Gospel by a missionary, an AG missionary with Live Dead. His name is Dick Brogdon, and, and, uh, and he wrote something that helps us understand the need of grace. He said, we somehow think God needed us, that he was lonely that he sat enthroned in eternity. We think that the earth is the center of reality and we're the center of that world. That life revolves around us, our needs, our wants, our pains, our grief, our glory. We live unto ourselves and Jesus is merely fire insurance. We have no sense of majesty and we treat him so cavalierly. We're not undone in his presence. We do not walk softly in his house. We've lost the fear of God and we've corrupted love without truth. We have mitigated our rebellion. We have excused our sin. We have rationalized away holiness and we have not the idea of the concept of wrath and we certainly don't think we deserve it. Whoo! Hear my heart. I want you to know that God is love. But that love can only truly be appreciated when we understand the state in which we are in. The state in which Paul says here in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our transgressions and sins and by nature are deserving of wrath. God's holy. And friends, God hates evil. Can I just say that? God hates evil. God hates sin. God hates sin. He hates sin. That's hard to hear because we don't think God hates anything. Not only does God hate sin, but friends, because of sin and because of mankind's sinful nature, we are deserving of wrath, where if you really look at it, God not only hates sin, but hates sinner as well. God loves, God hates sin, but loves the sinner. 
There's a part of that that is true. But if you read through the scripture, there are things that God hates. And as a result of that, if we really truly understand what hate is, it's not that that hate necessarily is the problem. It's the reaction. It's what fuels evil people to do horrible things is, is hate. But in fact, hate itself is neutral. Ellie Weisel says that the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Friends, don't tune me out for a moment. This is going to get heavy before it gets light. Because you can't understand how amazing grace is until you understand just how much we are deserving of wrath. We've got to get that first. You see, when a loving God hates, it means he's against. He's so passionately against it that he will destroy it. The Bible defines hate as something that, that one destroys. Something that we should hate and seek to destroy under God's wrath. You say, pastor, hate, come on. Who preaches on hate? We, pay, we, we, we preach on love, right? Hate. But you have to understand there are some things that we should hate. There are some things we should seek to destroy. There are some things that, that, that should be under God's wrath. Friends, how many of you think we should hate child abuse? How many of you think we should hate rape? How many of you think we should hate pornography and human trafficking? These ought to be appropriate emotions that we feel. It is not wrong to hate those things because they tear down the very fabric of what God desires for our lives. They stand against everything that He is. These are the things that we should seek to destroy that are deserving of wrath. And the Bible is full of references to things that God hates, that He wants to commit under destruction, and that are deserving of His wrath. Proverbs 6 16 and 19, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Did you see it? Six things the Lord does what? Hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. So you mean that little four-year-old, five-year-old that lied to his mother? Yeah, God hates that. That lied to his grandparents when he was a teenager? God hates that. Hands that shed innocent blood, we we get that. Murder, absolutely, we get that. Abortion, right, we get that. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush to evil. A false witness who pours out lies. How about this last one? A person who stirs up conflict in the community. It's, it's not just the murderer that's on the list. If you've ever lied, God hates, you're under wrath. False witness, you ever stir up conflict? Sow discord? How about Psalm 5.5? 5? The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Hate, hate. You ever battle with pride? God hates sin. Throughout Scripture, we're described as by sons, uh, by nature, sons of wrath, natural enemies of God, that we are selfish, prone to wander, rebellious, conniving, hypocritical, foolish, deceitful. Friends, we love to excuse away our weaknesses, and, and, and we love to have, we're masters of partial surrender and, and manufactured reputations, and as a result, we are under God's wrath. That is, that is what our world is under. That is what our nation is under. Those that have not come under the grace of God, have not come under what Jesus Christ have done, are deserving of wrath. 
That's what makes the mission so compelling. That's why as believers, when Jesus calls us to his great commission to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what? Obey all that I have commanded. Why? Because without it, then they are deserving of wrath. People who do not know Christ are deserving of wrath. We are deserving of wrath because by nature, this is who we are. The ugliness of sin, God hates. Why do I share this? Why is this so important for us to understand the need right up front before we get into a series on grace? I like the way Kyle Eidelman put it in his book, Grace is Greater. Our ability to appreciate grace is in direct correlation to the degree in which we acknowledge our need for it. The more I recognize the ugliness of my sin, the more I can appreciate the beauty of grace, of God's grace. So what is grace? Get to the meaning of it. What is grace? Against the backdrop of being dead in our transgressions and deserving of wrath, here's what Paul continues with in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But, oh, I'm so glad that in this passage it says deserving of wrath, but then has but. But, but what? But because of his great love for us. Come on now. Because of his great love for us, God who is, look at this, rich in mercy, rich in mercy, Rich in, in what? Rich in wealth? Rich in blessings? No, you know what's most important? Rich in mercy. It's not about being rich in blessings. It's not about, oh God, give me a great job so I can have all this money, money, money. So I can have all this success, success, success. So everything can be peaceful. No, God who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, made us what? Alive with Christ. Come on now, even when we were what? Dead in our transgressions. The problem is we were dead. The problem is we're dead in our sin, under wrath, deserving of wrath. But God in his great love, who is rich in mercy. Come on, somebody. When we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. Here it is. It is by grace that you have been saved. And that's it. By grace. What is mercy? Mercy is when you and I don't get what we deserve. That's what mercy is. When I was deserving of punishment, but instead, I got mercy. I was deserving of punishment, but Jesus took my place. That's mercy. So if that's mercy, then what is grace? Grace is what I don't deserve, God gives to me. When I don't deserve, when I don't deserve eternity, when I don't deserve, when I don't deserve not just eternity, listen, it's not just about forgiveness. See, that's mercy, his forgiveness. He didn't give us the punishment we deserve, but not only did he not give us the punishment that we deserve, but instead he gave us a position as being sons and daughters of God. He, he gave us the position of being heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Do you understand that it's not just forgiveness? It's not about just not getting the punishment that you deserve, but positionally, we have been made alive in Christ. Positionally, we are, we are with Christ. We are in Christ. We are, we are part of, of who he is. There is, a, there is an authority that we've been given back. There is a positional and family that we've been given back as prodigals. The ring put back on our finger again. Come on, friends. That is grace. 
that we get what we don't deserve. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. That's it. The unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Here it is, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that what? No one can boast. You see, the problem is sin. And the remedy is not by my merits. Friends, there is nothing good in me. When we, go, when we do funerals, it's really nice to say, well, they're going to heaven because they were a good person. They did a lot of good things, so I'm pretty sure when they stand at the gate, you know, Peter's going to, whoo. There's no Peter standing at the gate. That's a lie. It's not in the Bible. It's great for jokes. It's not biblical. Right? What are you going to boast about? When you stand before eternity... When you stand before the judgment seat, when you stand there, what are you going to say? What, what are you going to say? Why, why, why do you deserve not to go to hell? Why do you deserve to be in heaven? Why, why? What, what, what answer are you going to give? You see, sometimes we compare ourselves with others. These are the mistakes we make. Sometimes we compare ourselves to others. Sometimes we look at the, a person that goes to school with us or uh, in other business or, you know, we, go, we see somebody, they go into the school, they go into business, they shoot the place up and we go, oh, certainly that person's bad, but not me. I'm not that bad. We hear about the person dealing drugs or abusing women or, or children and we think, you know what, I'm better than that. You know, they deserve to go to hell, but I, I don't deserve that. I'm a good person. That's not me. But the problem is the standard we use. The standard of others is not the standard that God gives us within Scripture. God doesn't grade on the curve where, you know, if you sin less than your neighbor or friend or your family member, then you have a better chance of getting into heaven. We like to think God grades on the curve. We like to think that's what grace is. God, God grades on the curve, right? I remember a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Tanzania, and uh, we, we, we had a chance to, to enjoy the, the Serengeti and be out there, and that's not like a zoo, all right? They're not behind. They're, we went into their territory, all right? They roam free, all the animals, and, and we saw all kinds of big cats. We saw big elephants. We saw, you know, hippopotamus. We, I didn't get to see a rhinoceros, but I know they're out there. We, we saw all kinds of things. They roam wherever they are, and I remember we... We pulled up on a male lion. We're going to put a picture up and, uh, in a moment. And uh, yeah, th this guy, seriously, this is the guy we saw. We, we were, we're pulling up and he's walking. And so we stop. We're in one of these vehicles, you know, and in the Serengeti. And we're inside the vehicle, so that's good. But the vehicle has open tops and our windows are down because it's hot. And this, this cat, and I'm going to tell you something, when a cat like that starts coming down and starts coming... And he's coming close, and I remember thinking, I'm looking, looking around, and this cat is coming, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, these cats have been known to jump on the vehicle here, all right? If something happens, this cat, like, pushes over this vehicle or starts to jump on it or something like that, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, okay, I don't think I'm as fast as that guy, but I don't think I'm as slow as that guy. <laughs> I, I don't have to be the fastest I just can't be the slowest. <laughs> Some of us, when it comes to eternity, I'm not as holy as the pastor. I don't do what he does. 
but I'm not as sinful as that other guy. So I don't have to be the holiest, but I don't have, I can't be the, the I, I'm not going to be as bad, so I, 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 I should go to heaven. Friends, that's not the way this works. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, 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 all of us are going to stand before God on judgment day. The problem is God is righteous. He's the righteous judge. God is holy. The standard is his word, and we are not. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm not as good as that guy or I'm better than that guy. God doesn't grade on the curve, friends. It is by his grace that scripture says that we have been saved. It is because of Christ that we don't get what we deserve, mercy, but he gives us what we don't deserve, grace. Secondly, we weigh the bad against the good sometimes, right? That's the danger that we fall in, all right? So maybe it's not comparison with others, but maybe we look at ourselves and we compare with ourselves and we think, okay, nobody's perfect, right? Come on, nobody's perfect, but I do a lot of good things. I do a lot of good things. I mean, I, I see somebody in need. I help out. I mean, I, you know, I give a little bit to Salvation Army. The, the, you know, holiday times, I'll drop a little in the kettle. That's okay. I, I, I give a little. I see a need, you know, comes across the screen. You know, St. Jude, come on. I, I'll give a little bit to St. Jude. I'll give a little bit to this. I mean, I give a little bit. Somebody's in need. I'll throw a little change their way if they're homeless or help out. I don't abuse my wife. I work hard. I provide for my family. Uh, you know, I, some of us, I go to church. I go to church. Come on, I even, I even serve from time to time. It's okay. I, I, I'm doing my good thing. I'm doing my good thing. And those are all noble. But here's the problem. The Bible says all our acts of righteousness are as filthy rags. There, there's nothing good. The problem is we all fall short of God's standard and like the scale our, 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 with our sin. Our, our sin will always outweigh our good works. They'll never line up. If you're gonna, if you're gonna try to stand before God and say, I'm going to heaven because my, I've done more good than I've done bad, I'm gonna tell you something. That's not gonna get you into heaven. You're still under wrath. You're still deserving of death. The good never outweighs the bad. Grace is a gift. It is undeserved. It is unearned. And there is no one that can boast. Romans 3.24, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And guess what? It's not earned. It's free. It's kind of like TurboTax. Free. It's free. Free, 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 free. How many of you are tired of that commercial? That's what, that's what grace is. Free, 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 free. All right? It's free. You can't earn it. And you don't deserve it. All right, you, you don't deserve it, you can't earn it, it's unmerited, and you can't boast in it. All right, Ephesians 2.9, it's not by work so that no one can boast. Don't believe me? Look what Jesus said, all right? You say, well, that's Paul. Let me tell you what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Perform miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. You know why? You, you can do a lot of spiritual things in the name of Jesus. But not have your trust in your salvation in him. You can do a lot of things and say, Lord, Lord. This is how I ought to be in heaven. I, I prophesied in your name. I was spirit-filled. Lord, Lord, I did miracles in your name. Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your 
name. And he says, well, that's not the standard to get into heaven. It's by my grace. You can't boast. Look what you're boasting in. You're boasting in your works rather than boasting in what I did for you. They're all works. It's not faith. It's by faith. Through the grace of God. We're not saved by our works, no matter how good, no matter how spiritual they may be. We're saved, we're rescued, we're delivered, and we're forgiven by the grace of God. Friends, what a gift. That's what's so amazing about grace, is that it it is something that is free for us through Jesus Christ. Friends, I want you to get this. God's grace is truly amazing. It's amazing. It's unmerited. It's free. It's undeserved. It's unearned. But unfortunately, many of us miss the grace of God. And here's the scripture that got me. This is what I read that got me where the Lord just really arrested my heart and said, we need to rediscover grace. All right, here it is. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Friends, as your pastor, I love you too much to have you go through life and to come and to listen to me preach, but somehow miss the grace of God. I don't want you to miss the grace of God. If you're watching online, I don't want you to miss the grace of God. I love you and care about you too much to have you miss the grace of God because the grace of God is what is the key. We have to understand this idea of the grace of God, that God hates sin and God hates sinners and they will face his wrath. You and I will face his wrath. And it doesn't matter whether I compare myself and I'm not as bad as so-and-so even though I'm not as good as so-and-so or I do all these good works but not all of these. It doesn't matter. If that is your answer, you are under wrath. But God, in His great love, who is rich in mercy, come on, He offers us grace. Christ paid the price, taking on the punishment we deserve, and not only offers us forgiveness and eternal life, but offers us a right standing with God and a position back in the, in, in the family where, where there's an inheritance that he promises us and where there are gifts that he pours out to us that are just as much a part of his grace. And so, friends, it's my prayer that you won't miss the grace of God, but rather that you'll experience grace and all of its benefits in this life. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, I want you to know this. Grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. Grace is big enough to cover your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationships, friends. Grace is strong enough to hold you up when you are weak. Grace is sweet enough to cure your bitterness. Grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointment. And grace is beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. There's grace. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. You see, all of these are a part of God's grace, and they're available to you. Friends, don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss the grace of God. I want us to pray right now, and I just want us to bow our heads for a moment. And if you're watching online, will you just pray with me right here? Will you just, just in this moment, will you just pray with me right here in this moment? And I just want to ask you today, if, if, you, if you were to die, if you had to stand before judgment, what answer do you give? What is the answer that you give as to why you shouldn't be under the wrath of God? Why you shouldn't, why you shouldn't, be punished in hell for eternity what 
what is the answer that you give? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ, then today's the day to get right with the Lord. Today's the day to repent. Today is the day to receive His grace, to receive His mercy. Today is today to receive Christ into your life today. And if that's you, will you just slip up your hand? Pastor, I want to receive Jesus today. I need to receive His grace today. I need to receive His mercy and His forgiveness today. I need Jesus today. Is there anyone at all? I need Jesus today. If you're watching online, will you just let us know either in the comments or will you email us info at PainesvilleAG.com? Will you say, I need the grace of God today. I need His grace. If there's anyone, maybe you made a commitment to follow Christ, but maybe today you need to repent. You need to rededicate your life to the Lord today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I need to rededicate my life to Jesus today. I need His forgiveness today in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just pray right now. Let's pray right now and let's just receive the gift that He's offering us today of His grace. Jesus, we thank You today for Your mercy. We thank You today for Your kindness. We thank You today for Your great love and we thank You for Your amazing grace. We invite You, Jesus, into our lives today. We ask You to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us. We repent today and we ask for Your mercy. And we invite you, Jesus, to come and live inside and transform our lives by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.